The coming of the Son of Man from Luke's Gospel is like a giant cymbal crash welcoming us into the new year, Advent Sunday. So, Happy New Year. Your rector preached a masterful sermon on the apocalypse last Sunday. The trouble is, that focus continues this Sunday, with some people seeing those words as prophecy for today. Climate change, distress among the nations, nuclear weapons, the end must be near. Remember, those were words written for that time, not ours. But not much content for preaching the good news of the gospel. The good stuff on John the Baptist doesn't start till next Sunday. Take the cryptic fig tree business. The interpreter's commentary on the Bible notes, its point is that as one can observe the signs of nature and no summer is at hand, so one can see these cosmic portents and know the end is near. So what? The world didn't end. We're still here, and I don't like figs. <laughs> Yesterday, I even received a letter from the chosen people asking me to donate, to help out. And their belief is that the fig tree parable is symbolic of the coming of the new Israel, modern Israel. And I thought, the fig tree is becoming a Rorschach test. <laughs> so, how can we use Advent to prepare for Christmas? In stores, Christmas decorations began to appear in August, and Christmas celebrations began the day after Thanksgiving, beginning with Black Friday. Chestnuts on the open fire is playing in restaurants and stores, along with other secular music of the season and carols. The commercial celebration of Christmas ending on Christmas Day, when we just begin. Angels we have heard on high tell us to go out and buy. <laughs> A congregational minister friend back east asked why we Episcopalians don't sing Christmas carols in Advent the way they do. For the same reason, I explained, that we don't sing Easter hymns during Lent. This is preparation time. To cut through the haze of commercialism amid the less than helpful apocalyptic fog, I offer some thoughts for your Advent preparation. Here's a different slant, so fasten your safety belts. The earliest gospel, Mark, written after 70 A.D., made no mention of Jesus' birth. It simply begins with the baptism of John the Baptist. By 85 A.D., people were wanting to know where was he born. Nobody remembered. He wasn't a big deal in his day. No problem. If he was the Messiah, and his followers were convinced he was, then all they had to do is look it up in Hebrew prophecy. There, Micah, chapter 5. But you, Bethlehem, the least of the clans of Judah, out of you will be born for me the one who is to rule over Israel. Better get the baby down there fast. <laughs> Probably Jesus, Yeshua, his Aramaic Jewish name, Joshua in our language, 
was born in Nazareth. Now, I had always interpreted Luke's no room at the inn as the Jews' rejection of Jesus until I went to Bethlehem. There I learned two traditions. The hospitable innkeeper and that Jesus was born in the cave. Back then, an inn was simply a large room for everyone, too dangerous to be out at night. In the story from Palestinian Christians, the innkeeper, whose family lived in the cave attached to the inn, you know, like the store, uh, the house over the store, says, you don't want to be delivering your baby with all these people around, much less the coughing and sneezing. Please, join us in our home. Now, it does get cold over there. I'll never remember the time I saw an icicle hanging from a lemon on a lemon tree in Jerusalem. I didn't know that. But in winter and summer, a cave always stands around 78 degrees. Plus, animals brought in for safety and heat. So, since 333 AD, Christians have remembered Jesus' birth in caves beneath the Roman Catholic and Orthodox Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, built by Constantine over caves chosen by his mother, Queen Helena. The birth narratives of Luke and Matthew are, I believe, theological, not historical, but quite fascinating and deep. The kingdom is coming, Advent announces, without saying when or how. So be prepared for the unexpected. For the children's Christmas Eve service around 50 years ago, I've instituted a hands-on service with the children carrying to the creche the characters and animals in the stories from Luke and Matthew accompanied by appropriate carols. It had become quite popular, and the chapel was packed. After all the figures had been dispersed, I asked if everyone had brought something to the creche. To my dismay, four five-year-olds raised their hands. Oh, good, you get to bring forward the most special thing of all, I said, thinking, oh, God, what am I going to do? I can't just give them straw. With big smiles and eager eyes, they came forward. Deep breath. Have you ever seen a real angel? They shook their heads, no. Do you know why? No. Because real angels are invisible. Would you like to place a real angel in the crash? All nodded yes. Come with me. We went across the aisle to the shelf where the crash figures had been. Hold out your hands. I reached over and took an angel and placed one in each cupped hand. Now, let's walk to the creche and place them there. The parents were going nuts. I took each one from their palms and placed them at the front of the creche. All smiling, they ran back to their parents. But, as everyone was leaving, Bob, 
of course, the head of the church school, wouldn't you know, came forward with his daughter, Kate, who was sobbing uncontrollably. I thought, uh-oh, I'm caught. He explained, Kate's brother has the flu, and she's wondering if she can take her angel home to him. Do you know where you left it? Yes. Here, I took the angel, placed it into her outstretched hands, and smiling through tears, she walked purposefully down the aisle. I watched as her father helped her into the car and buckled her in so she didn't have to lose hold of her angel. The next morning, he phoned to say that Kate had tiptoed into Matthew's room, left her angel on his bedside table, blew him a kiss, and silently skipped out of the room. Do you believe in angels? From that moment, I did. Prepare ye the way of the Lord in unexpected moments and events beyond your control. How to prepare amid the commercial and secular. Visiting my mother in Oklahoma during Advent, I woke up early, could barely see the darkened living room decorated for the holidays, backlighted by street lamps reflecting off the overnight ice storm. As dawn broke, I glanced up at the mantel of the fireplace and saw a pleasant sight, a collection of nutcrackers, Santa Clauses, and a frosty the snowman with his legs dangling over the side of the mantel. As the rising sun lighted up the mantel, another image came into focus, invisible before. Set in front at the very center was a little wooden crash I had given her the year before, a bit of olive wood from Bethlehem in the midst of it all. It was the smallest of the items there, but it illuminated and gave meaning to the rest. So, this Advent, you need not sweep away all the nutcrackers and Santa Clauses, not even Frosty the Snowman or Rudolph or dreams of a white Christmas just like the ones I used to know but never did. <laughs> but let the Christmas story quietly sit among them, providing meaning and depth to this crazy, stressful time as fond, dear memories of those we love combine with all the Advents and Christmases past. Together, let them grow and appreciate with the years. Just keep the crash in the middle, shining meaning onto all the commercial. Be grateful for all the love that keeps being born, remembered and renewed in the name of the Word made flesh, whose birth will be the culmination of this challenging Advent season. And be at peace. Heavenly peace.